Today at the end of service, we'll be celebrating communion together. If you did not get a chance to grab communion elements on the way in, if you would just raise your hand, um, someone would, be, would love to bring those by to you um, in just a minute. Just this past week, I was shopping online, and one of the things that I noticed, I don't know if you've come across this yet on Amazon, I was actually given the option of do I want the, my package to arrive while I'm sleeping or slightly after I wake up. Um, it was given the choice, like that's how quickly you can get something now on Amazon. And I don't know about you, but I think about this in the world that we live, the instant gratification of our world, whatever we want, we can have it immediately. Um, and, and one of the ways, like I noticed this, I, like I, I don't ever stand in a grocery line without also consuming some kind of media. I, I don't know if that's true about you, but like I don't even worry anymore is it the shortest line because I can actually consume, I can watch YouTube videos, I can search some articles, um, or, or what, I don't know about you, when's the last time you actually watched a movie and didn't know the actor? Has that happened to anybody recently? Because like, we live in a world where you don't actually have to struggle with that reality. Like, if you don't know something, you can just search. You can ask Alexa or Siri and you get the answer right away. I often will choose which product I buy based on the delivery time. Like, if I can't get it in two days or less, like, why even bother at that point? Um, now, we have become a culture that is used to this idea of getting things right away, that we want it and we want it now. Now what's interesting about this, as technology has progressed, what adds to this culture, this way of thinking and operating in our culture is that we also have socially regressed. So technology has advanced in a lot of ways, but what has also happened um, is anxiety has increased like never before. And these things are all often very connected because in a response to anxiety, what we tend to do is we tend to, as, as a society and, and our, our businesses and organizations and our family systems, the response to anxiety is always quick fixes, a hyper-reactivity to whatever it is. And so when you combine the anxiety and fears and worries of our culture with the technological advances, what you get is this endless cycle which makes us reliant on our ability to fix things right away. We don't have the patience for long-term work on anything. Think, think about um, some of the solutions that we, we turn to in our culture. It, is our, if a marriage is broken, divorce is actually often seen as the quick fix, the way out of unhappiness. Or maybe a political system is seen as broken. Well, division and dismissing another perspective is the quick and easy solution. Or is my faith unable to answer my questions or my doubts? Well, I find something else or I, I just add something new in. And it's not that there's never quick solutions. Sometimes there is. But generally, we only look for quick solutions. When in reality, is in most of life, the quick answer tends to be the result of fear, not faithfulness. As we follow Jesus, I believe one of the ways that the enemy has tried to form us to be unlike Jesus is by convincing us that the results of following Jesus should be instant. I believe the enemy has convinced us that in our spiritual life, if we don't see our anxiety improve yesterday, then Jesus isn't working. That in our relationship with God, if we don't see our grief progress rapidly, then God must not be present. If I don't see a particular battle with sin, 
get better in seven days or less, then, I, then my faith must not be working. Following Jesus isn't a quick fix. It's a lifetime of becoming more and more like Jesus. And while I love the stories of conversion and life change that we celebrate in the church, what I think can also happen is we can associate a relationship with Jesus, conversion with a quick fix to everything suddenly becoming better when the reality for most people as we follow Jesus, it's a change that happens over a lifetime. Instead of an instant radical change, which does happen most often as the disciples and others of followers of Jesus throughout history have followed, it's an exponential change that builds one day after the next. Think, let's think about it um, this way. According to the words of C.S. Lewis, he describes it so beautifully when he said this, every time... You make a choice. You are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. In other words, in this lifetime of following Jesus, what C.S. Lewis believed, it was a series of choices that are all connected to one another in the kind of person you are becoming. That he believed that there were moments where because of our own sinful cravings, because of the, the lies of the enemy, because of the temptations of this world, there are times when we are being formed into a hellish creature. That we aren't loving, we aren't patient, we aren't good to ourselves, our neighbors, or the world around us. But then he also believed that there are other times when God overpowers the work of the enemy. When we don't give in to our sinful cravings, when we don't give in to the temptations of the enemy, and instead we see something different, something loving or patient or kind, a kind of love that isn't self-seeking, we see something that looks more like Jesus, or as C.S. Lewis calls it, a heavenly creature. Now today we are beginning a new series called Come and See. Now the idea in this series is that to be a disciple of Jesus means we come and see Jesus. And other followers of Jesus invite us to come and see the God that they follow. And so as we come and see, that happens in the context of a relationship, in the context of community, regardless of what you believe about Jesus. And then as you begin to see the things that Jesus did and you begin to believe what Jesus teaches, it also changes the kind of person you become. A change that happens one day after another, one day over a lifetime of following Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes this as growing up in every way into him, meaning Jesus. That's what he calls maturity, that we are growing into the likeness of Jesus. We don't wake up one day and look like Jesus, but over time, throughout a series of choices, we have choices that look more like Jesus and others that don't. Now to help us see the pro this kind of process that can happen throughout our lifetime, I want to look at two different snapshots of the disciples in the scriptures. The first in Matthew chapter 8. So if you'd open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to begin in verse 23. And we're going to look at two different instances in the life of the disciples and make comparisons to the, what we can see in our own life. Verse 23, then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. 
Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now for this first snapshot, we get a glimpse into the fears of the disciples that get confronted by the authority and the power of Jesus. Now at the time of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus in the first century, the sea was not something that you just went out and hung out on. They were fishermen, yes, but they were also terrified of the sea. The sea represented darkness and evil and chaos. It was threatening and wild. And so you get a sense throughout the scriptures, but especially here, that the disciples are on this boat and they are afraid because of what could happen. And it's Jesus' response to their fear that displays the kind of person he is. Jesus doesn't have to call on anyone else. He doesn't offer up a prayer. He simply speaks a word and it happens. He commands the wind and the waves to stop and they do. To which the disciples, amazed, ask the question, who is this guy? Now, in the midst of all of this, that Jesus asked the disciples an important question. He asked the disciples while they are on the boat, right after they have woken Jesus up, that he asks, he says, why are you so afraid? Now, it's an interesting question considering that Jesus would have expected them to be afraid. Because everybody's afraid of the sea in a storm at night, particularly in the first century world. In fact, the default response to somebody on the sea at night would be to cry out to the sea gods, to find a sacrifice they could make, like Jonah, to maybe do something to appease the gods to get everything back under control. But Jesus asks this question, not because he's surprised by their fear, but because he wants to teach them. Because he wants to teach them who he is. And it's only after that question that the disciples then ask a question of their own. Well, who is this man? And it's that discovery that would begin to change the kind of men who are on that boat with Jesus. Who over a lifetime of following Jesus... Over the course of three years, being with Jesus would find their lives transformed. Each day being a little bit different than the day before. Hanging out with each other, listening to the teachings of Jesus, experiencing the miracles of Jesus, and finding themselves transformed by Jesus. Jesus, who in a moment interrupts their fears and begins to change them. Now, the thing that I think makes this story so interesting, particularly when we relate it to our own stories, is it feels so counter to everything we've been taught. So the, the reason the disciples wake up Jesus is because the storm is out of their ability to control and keep them, themselves and their environment safe. And for most of us and most of life, we seek to have everything under control. 
We want to have our home under control. We want to have our careers under control and our finances under control. And we want to minimize the anxieties and fears we have by controlling the environment, our surroundings, whatever it might be. The fascinating thing, though, about where the transformation takes place with the disciples as they follow Jesus is not by them getting everything under control. It's them surrendering control. The place that you and I will most grow is not by us relieving our fears. It's by us surrendering the control to Jesus. The one who has power over the wind and the waves. And spiritual formation is just that. It's not about being in control. It's about giving up control. Becoming a man or woman of God isn't about getting your relationship with Jesus under control. It's about surrendering your control to Jesus in order that he might do a work transforming you. Instead of grasping for control, to surrender it to Jesus, to trust God with the journey he has us on. Now I want to look at another snapshot, this one from Matthew chapter 14. The reason I want to use this snapshot in Matthew chapter 14 is, again, this is another boat story with the disciples. And so there are many parallels here. And what I think is important is when we look at what happens in this instant on a boat with the disciples and Jesus, we can see a change that in just six chapters, there's something different about the interaction that happens here. I'll begin in, chap in chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now again, another account of Jesus who's on the water with the disciples. And as the disciples are on a boat in the water at night, in one sense, there's probably not a lot that has changed about the fear that would come up in a situation like that. In fact, we know that there's fear because the first thing the disciples jump to when they see something out in the water is that it must be a ghost. Or the disciples are terrified because this is the place of evil and chaos. Now this time, instead of Jesus sleeping on a boat, he's actually walking across the water, on the, uh, walking on the water like you do. And so the disciples see Jesus, and in the midst of fear, Jesus makes a statement that is incredibly powerful. He says to the disciples, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now if we compare what Jesus says here to what he said the first time on the boat, we can notice a big difference. 
on the first boat, Jesus asked the disciples, well, why are you so afraid? This time he speaks a command and says, don't be afraid. There are moments when in your encounter with Jesus, he's gently nudging you and asking you the question. But then as you continue to follow Jesus and as you continue to grow, he, sometimes he pushes a little harder to move from asking the question to also giving a command saying, stop being afraid. Now, what's also important, though, when he says, do not be afraid, he also connects that to something very important because he says, it is I. The only reason Jesus here can say it is I is because the disciples know who he is and because the disciples know how the wind and the waves respond when Jesus shows up. So when Jesus is on that, uh, and this, this time in the water, walking out to them, he says and gives them a command, don't be afraid. But he also says, and don't forget, you know what I can do when I'm in the storm. You know how the wind responds to me. You know how the waves respond to me. See, the reason the disciples can have courage in this moment is because they've already seen what God can do. Because what you've seen Jesus do influences what you believe he can do. Because it's the testimony of Jesus in your life and the lives of others that then prophesies and speaks to what Jesus will do again. Jesus asked them to be courageous, not because he doesn't have a reason for them to not be afraid. No, because Jesus has proven to them that he is greater than their, their fears. And so Jesus reminds the disciples, you know what happens when I'm on the water. Now Peter's reaction, I think, is significant. And, it, and it's a small piece of the story, but it is a piece of the story. And so when Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, we see a different Peter than we saw before. If Peter was just one of the disciples waking Jesus up because they were afraid and then wondering, well, who is this guy? In this instance, Peter knows exactly who Jesus is. Because he's not saying, who is this man? He's saying, well, if you are who you say you are, well, tell me to come out onto the water. Peter knows that if this is truly Jesus, that Peter will have no problem walking on that water right out to Jesus. Peter is not the same Peter he was. And so Jesus says, well, come, come out. Peter, and Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the waves, in the midst of all that would be terrifying. And now we know that Peter sinks and there is doubt and fear all at play. But I wonder if where we see failure, Jesus sees growth. Because sometimes this continues to be true in our own life as we walk with God. Sometimes where we see the stumbling and falling, what Jesus sees is that we have been taking some steps. Sometimes in the moments where we have felt most alone, what Jesus sees is we have most trusted. In the moments where we feel the most pain, what Jesus sees is we have cried out and relied on him in prayer like we have never before. See, sometimes where we see the failure, sometimes where we see that we are sinking, what Jesus sees is that you took some steps on the water. 
After Jesus reminds the disciples of who he is and what, what he's done, Peter gets out of the boat because being with Jesus changed Peter. Because Peter's not the same Peter he once was. Peter didn't do what he did the first time. He was becoming more like Jesus. And what do you do when you want to become like Jesus? If Jesus walks on the water, then you want to walk on the water. Now, but Peter does sink, and which, which could be discouraging, but I don't think it needs to be. Because what we can see in Peter is a glimpse of us, that there are moments where we are doing what Jesus did. Where he invites us to become more and more like him. And so we, we, we take the steps, we grow, we follow, we trust. And then, like Peter, there are moments where we fall. Because we are not who we once were, but we are not done yet. It's a both and. And as you follow Jesus, there will be moments where it's clear that you are not the person you once were. That your fear, your sin, your struggles, will, it, there will be evidence that they are losing to the power of God. Because God is at work making you new. And then there will be moments where you're reminded that God's not done with you yet. Moments where you're reminded that you need to grow in your faith, in your trust, in your obedience. It's in the both and that Jesus rescues Peter. It's in the both and where Peter is lifted up by Jesus and, God, and Jesus says, why did you doubt? And it's in that moment that we are shown that the disciples now have the answer to the question, who is this man? Because this time on the boat, instead of the disciples asking the question, well, who is this guy who can speak to the winds and the waves? Uh, in Matthew 14, it tells us this time the disciples in the boat respond saying, truly you are the son of God. It's in the both and that the disciples find themselves now not who they once were. At one point they were afraid not knowing who Jesus was. This time their fear is a little less and they are confident in who Jesus is. And so in the both and, may we not be discouraged in the failures, in the times we sink. But may we be encouraged that Jesus is inviting us to trust that he is truly the son of God. And this is a lifelong relationship. It's a lifelong growing and transformation. It's a transformation that happens by his power and not ours. It's not by our willpower. It's by his power. It's by his death and resurrection that does the work. It's not your will and dedication. At the same time, that we know that this is not about our work, there is effort. And grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is the foundation of our relationship with him. And so Jesus invites us to become more and more like him. For Peter, that looked like trying to walk on the water. As we look all throughout the scriptures, what we see all throughout Jesus' life are examples of what it looks like to have a relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus goes to the mountainside to be alone with God in silence, in solitude, to speak to his father. Jesus teaches us and models us what it looks like to pray, what it looks like to listen to the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows us what it looks like to fight for justice and to love our neighbors. Jesus shows us what it looks like to study, to memorize the scriptures, to teach the scriptures, to be in community with other believers. 
And so as we close, what I want to challenge you to do in your relationship with Jesus, to understand that there is no quick fix to your relationship with Jesus, but instead, what if we evaluated, what if we took an inventory of sorts of our, of the practices that we do as we try to imitate Jesus? And so I want to ask you these two questions to think about our own relationship with Jesus and ask the question, what am I doing and how am I doing it? Now, I'll give you a couple examples of just what this could look like. The what am I doing um, would be asking the question, if I am doing something in my relationship to Jesus, what are the things that Jesus did or that Jesus teaches me, encourages me to do that I could be doing in my life? A couple of those that I I could give you is prayer, scripture reading, worship, community, silence and solitude, Sabbath. And with those, as you ask, what am I doing, get specific about those. If you're, if you're thinking about, all right, this year I want to read the Bible more, um, what am I doing to read the Bible? Am I doing the Bible recap alongside of, of other people in your small group or alongside the church? Are you reading through a Bible plan? Maybe for you, you don't want to read through a Bible plan. You just want to focus on a, a, a few verses. Maybe you want to memorize some scripture. Ask yourself, what am I doing to read the scripture? Or what am I doing in prayer? prayer? Is it a certain daily time that I'm trying to spend with Jesus? Is there a certain model for prayer that I want to use? Is there a type of prayer like listening prayer? What am I doing to pray? Or who am I in community with? How often am I getting together with them? What kinds of questions are we asking each other? And then the next question I want you to ask about whatever those things might be. Again, there's not, there, there, and there's not like a list that you, you have to do all of these. Just pick, a, pick something you want to focus on. But then ask, how am I doing it? And when you ask, how am I doing that, what I, what I mean specifically is, is this out of discipline or desire? And as you a- a- answer that question, what I want you to realize is neither of those is actually a wrong answer. What I want to encourage you is that Jesus invites us into both of those, both the discipline and the desire. So where you may find you are thinking about some practices and you lean towards, I'm doing these because it's a discipline, I need to get better, that's good. And then try to think about what are some areas where I can add in things that that I just want to do that bring me joy as I follow Jesus. Or maybe you're bent the other direction and you just, I don't want a plan. I just want to do what feels right. And I just want to, I just want to come and I want to worship and I want to sing. Um, but I don't want to do like the daily discipline stuff. Maybe for you, then you need to add in some discipline. Both of those are important. And I would argue based on our personalities and wiring that there are some practices as we follow Jesus that we are drawn to that we should do. And we should add in some ones that we're not drawn to. And then the opposite is true, that we, there are some things that we are drawn to, that we, we need to give ourselves over to those things. And so asking these questions helps you know, helps you pay attention to what God is doing in you and through you by the gifts that he's given to you. Because as we follow Jesus, Jesus gives to us what transforms us. He gives to us himself. Because as you follow Jesus, the end isn't prayer. The end goal isn't reading the Bible. The end goal isn't going to church. What happens when you make those things the end goal, that's when you get legalism. The end goal, though, is Jesus. 
We pray because in prayer we meet with Jesus. We hear the voice of Jesus. We speak to Jesus. We read the scriptures. Whether we are meditating on a couple verses or reading through the whole thing, we read and study the scriptures because the scriptures give to us Jesus. We meet in community with other believers because other believers point us to Jesus. Jesus is the end goal. It's being in the presence of Jesus. And what we see in the disciples is that it was in the presence of Jesus, the same Jesus who had power over the wind and the waves. It was by being in the presence of Jesus that throughout their life transformed them. And they became someone different. And so may you spend time in the presence of Jesus. And may you be encouraged that Jesus is transforming you. That you are not the person you were. Let me pray for us and then we will prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who meets with us. In, who in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our sin and shame, that you come to us, that you give yourself to us. We pray that you, by your power, by your death, by your resurrection, that you would transform the people that we are, that we would see the transformation take place in our own life now, but throughout our lifetime that you would be growing us and forming us into your image and into your likeness. And Jesus, as we follow you, we know that we're not done yet, that we continue to struggle, we continue to sin and fall short. And so we pray that in these moments that you would bring to mind our struggles, that you would bring to mind our own sin and thought and word and deed. And as those come to mind, we pray that we would offer those to you. Hear us as we confess these to you. promise of Jesus that he speaks to each and every one of you is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 